Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen. The focus of our program tonight, the first bilateral summit between Justin Trudeau and U.S. President Joe Biden, and the U.S. President's first bilateral with a foreign leader. The two leaders and their officials met for about two hours this afternoon, virtually across their video screens in Washington and in Ottawa. It is the first step in Joe Biden's effort to reset the Canada-U.S. relationship after an icy four years with Donald Trump in the White House. That was characterized by conflict and insults. Today, the two leaders laid out what they called a roadmap for cooperation on climate change, COVID-19, the economic recovery, diversity, security, and international alliances. A to-do list for senior officials on both sides of the border. On climate, the two leaders have established a high-level ministerial group to look at joint approaches to cutting greenhouse gases and implementing the Paris Climate Agreement more aggressively. On vaccines, though, no indication that the U.S. is prepared to share any of its COVID-19 vaccines manufactured in the U.S. with Canada, at least not yet. On the two Michaels being detained in China, Joe Biden called for their release. But we got no commitment today from the White House to exempt Canada from the expanded Buy America policies promised by Joe Biden uh, during the election campaign and since he has taken office. In a moment, we'll dig into the summit results today. But first, here are the uh, closing statements from the two leaders at the end of the summit. Good evening, everyone. Justin, we had good meetings. Prime Minister Trudeau and I just concluded a very productive bilateral meeting the first of what I'm sure will be many uh, close and cooperative sessions. One of our last foreign trips I made was, as vice president was to visit the prime minister in Ottawa. And today, we're able to drive right into the many uh, vital issues of importance for both our nations. For both our nations, getting COVID under control at home and around the world is an immediate priority. And we committed to work together to help prevent future biological threats by strengthening the World Health Organization, supporting our bold targets under the global health security agenda, cooperating in a global partnership against the spread of weapons of mass destruction, and engaging in other multilateral institutions to promote promote transparency, build capacity, and strengthen global norms. We also agreed to work in close cooperation to strengthen the supply chain security and resilience and to ensure that Canada and the United States are driving a robust economic recovery that benefits everyone, not just those at the top. That's especially important because we know that this pandemic is not affecting everyone the same way. Women are dropping out of work or the workforce at alarming rates. Black, Latino, and Native are also, and other minorities are particularly hard hit. We also agreed to work together on a uh, inclusive recovery using the tools available through the small and medium enterprise chapter of our trade agreement to support women and minority-owned businesses. We also doubled down on our efforts to tackle climate change. It was really, really encouraging. Now that the United States is back in the Paris Agreement, we intend to demonstrate our leadership in order to spur other countries to raise their own ambitions. Canada and the United States are going to work in lockstep to display the seriousness of our commitment at both home and abroad. 
To that end, we're launching a high-level climate ambition, ambition ministerial and to align our policies and our goals and to achieve net zero emissions by 2050. Prime Minister Trudeau and I share an unwavering faith in the capacity of our peoples to meet the challenges of this new age if we lead with our core strengths, our democratic values, our diverse and dynamic peoples. We both recognize our responsibility as leading democracies to defend our shared values around the world and to strengthen our own democracies at home. That means rooting out systemic racism and unconscious bias from our institutions and our laws, as well as our hearts. Today, we agreed to reestablish the cross-border crime forum and work together to modernize our approach to community safety and to do all the most, the most we can, do more to take on racism and discrimination in both our systems. Canada and the United States are not only vital partners, we're NATO allies committed to shared defense. The Prime Minister and I discussed our work with our European allies to bolster transatlantic security, which includes meeting our Wales commitments. We also agreed to modernize the North American Aerospace Defense Command, NORAD, which is still the only bi-national military command of its kind. And we will launch an expanded U.S.-Canadian Arctic dialogue to cover issues related to continental security, economic and social development, and Arctic governance. And finally, coming on the heels of the G7 meeting last Friday, it was an opportunity for Trump, Prime Minister Trudeau and I to explore our bilateral partnership to reinforce and help drive issues of concern in our hemisphere and globally. That includes coordinating our approaches to better compete with China and to counter threats to our interests and values. Let me reiterate our support for the release of the detained Chinese, detained in China, two Canadians, Michael Spavar and Michael Coving. Covering, excuse me. Human beings are not bartering chips. You know, we're going to work together until we get their safe return. Canada and the United States will stand together against abuse of universal rights and democratic freedoms. We're going to strengthen our shared commitment to providing safe haven for refugees and asylum seekers, and so much more. The United States is no closer and no more important friend than Canada. Our nations share a close geography and history that will forever bind us together, but our values are even more consequential. It's, but it's the shared spirit of our people that's going to ensure ours is a future of hope and opportunity. Canadians and Americans are innovative, creative, entrepreneurial, competitive, open-hearted, and rights-respecting. There's nothing we cannot achieve when we commit ourselves to it. And when we work together, as the closest of friends should, we only make each other stronger. So thank you again, Mr. Prime Minister, for your friendship and for your leadership. And I look forward to when we're able to meet in person and, uh, and all that Canada and the United States are going to accomplish together. So God bless you and thanks for today.
Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you, uh, tout le monde. Merci, tout le monde. Uh, let me begin by saying that all of us are thinking of our friends in Texas right now. I know Sask Power has been sending electricity down, and as I told the president, Canada is here to help however we can. Mr. President, it's been great to sit down with you this afternoon. This is, of course, not the first time we've worked together. Back in 2016, I had the pleasure of hosting you here in Ottawa as vice president. Over dinner, I remember talking about how the extraordinary friendship between Canada and the United States has not just weathered changing seasons, it has grown ever deeper and stronger. Well, today, we're taking our next step forward. The President and I discussed the ambitious new partnership roadmap based on shared values and priorities that will guide our country's work together over the coming years. In the face of COVID-19, of climate change, of rising inequality, this is our moment to act. So we're not wasting any time in getting down to work. Job one remains keeping people safe and ending this pandemic. This afternoon, the President and I discussed collaboration to beat COVID-19, from keeping key supplies moving and supporting science and research to joint efforts through international institutions. We're standing united in this fight. En plus de nos efforts communs pour combattre la COVID-19, on a aussi discuté de nos mesures strictes concernant les voyages pour protéger les gens des deux côtés de la frontière. Présentement, même si notre plus grande priorité est d'assurer la sécurité des gens, il faut aussi qu'on pense à notre avenir. Comme vous l'avez dit, Monsieur le Président, on doit rebâtir en mieux. La dernière année a révélé toutes sortes d'inégalités dans nos sociétés et plus que jamais, il est temps d'agir. Le moment est venu de rebâtir des économies plus fortes dont tout le monde pourra profiter. I know the President and I are on the same page when it comes to standing up for the middle class and people working hard to join it. And with millions of families relying on the Canada-US partnership, this is work we must do together. Just take the energy industry. Canadian energy workers power homes on both sides of the border. It goes to show that we're all better off for this partnership. Today, the President and I discussed leveraging supply chains and support for businesses to create good, well-paying jobs and help people who've been hardest hit get back on their feet. Ici au Canada, l'innovation et l'énergie propre occuperont une place cruciale dans notre plan pour rebâtir notre économie. Le président et moi avons discuté de l'importance d'une croissance propre afin de créer de nouvelles opportunités pour les Canadiens et les Américains et aussi pour protéger l'environnement et lutter contre les changements climatiques. Il faut continuer de poser des gestes significatifs pour respecter l'accord de Paris et atteindre nos objectifs en termes de carboneutralité. Finalement, on a aussi parlé des différents moyens de bâtir un monde plus fort et plus pacifique. Pour protéger nos citoyens et nos communautés, on doit travailler ensemble. Il faut notamment renforcer la défense continentale et combattre l'extrémisme violent. Et partout dans le monde, on doit défendre les valeurs et les intérêts qu'on a en commun, par exemple en renouant les alliances et en soutenant les institutions multilatérales. À ce propos, Je tiens à remercier le président Biden pour son soutien dans le dossier de la libération de Michael Kovrig et de Michael Spavor en détention 
arbitraire en Chine. We're facing tough times, there's no doubt, but we're not facing them alone. Canada and the United States are each other's closest allies, most important trading partners, and oldest friends. And we stand united to beat this pandemic and build a better tomorrow, and I know our bond will grow even stronger. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Joe, for your leadership, for your engagement, and thank you in advance for all the great work we're going to be doing together. Merci, mon ami. Thank you, Justin. Au revoir. Bonsoir. So uh, that was the Prime Minister and the U.S. President after their uh, virtual summit today. What does this first summit between Justin Trudeau and Joe Biden tell us about the state of the relationship between Canada and the United States and these two leaders and what to expect from the Biden White House? From Arlington, Virginia, let's bring in Scotty Greenwood. She is the CEO of the Canadian American Business Council. And from Toronto, we're joined by international trade lawyer Mark Warner. Uh, it's good to see you both. Thanks for taking time to be with me this evening. And Scotty, let me start with you. A lot of Canadians have been wondering exactly what will change in the Canada-U.S. relationship under Joe Biden and whether it will be less fractious than it was with Donald Trump. What did today's meeting uh, tell us about what to expect? Well, there's no doubt that it's less fractious. It is uh, the return to decorum and decency is absolutely here. But we now have a roadmap. Uh, we're calling it a roadmap. So we have a roadmap that's terrific. What's what's different about this meeting today is the number of U.S. cabinet members that were right there with the president and the vice president to engage in this bilateral discussion. So I think you'll see, whereas in the past, Peter, as you know, Canadian cabinet members would spend a lot of time reaching out one-on-one -on -one to their opposite number and trying to get a kind of a dialogue going. This, that has all been jump-started now. So there is a, a robust agenda of cooperation uh, and there will be a lot of work to do. This is just the beginning. Uh, but, but I think it's very interesting to see uh, the engagement of the, of the cabinet members. Uh, of course, we'll have to bring along Congress. That's really important, but, but we can get there. This was a good start. All right, we're, we're going to drill down on some of the specifics we heard today because we have a little time to dig into that tonight. But Mark Warner, let me, let me turn to you. What's your early assessment of the Canada-U.S. relationship after after this first meeting between the two leaders. What did you see? Well, I think it was a, a good meeting. I mean, they, the two leaders obviously get along. It was good to see that um, they had their some of their ministers and secretaries with them. Um, I think the reality is, I, I think it's good for Canada that we were able to get in the door so quickly, which I know matters a lot for Canadians. And you know, Mr. Biden has a very, uh, President Biden has a very busy agenda with the uh, the, the, the recovery bill he's trying to pass through Congress and dealing with COVID. So to get an hour or two hours with him today, I think uh, this early in his term is uh, is important. But, you know, this is just the high points. Um, the devil really is in the details. And we're going to have to wait and see um, how much uh, how much you can really make out of uh, out of this roadmap. All right, Scotty, I mean, when you parse these kinds of events, you, you can... Uh, to some extent, you can see what you want to see and you can hear what you want to hear. And sometimes people say, I didn't hear much. And sometimes people say, I heard more. But uh, I'm not sure you know, exactly how to place what we heard today, because I, I think in some ways we heard maybe a little more than we thought we would hear in terms of, of substance. But let's drill down a bit. It's no surprise that they would talk about moving forward on issues where there's a shared vision, climate change, multilateralism, defense and security. Uh, but, uh, you know, we didn't hear a whole lot about the sticking points, but what we did hear might be interesting. We heard Joe Biden talk about, you know, calling on China to release the two Michaels. And we heard both leaders talk about the importance of supply change, uh, chains that I think speak to that whole by Canada concern or by America concern in Joe Biden's policies. Uh, how did you read that? 
Well, I, I agree there. You know, you read into it what, what you want to. I was surprised um, and pleasantly surprised that there was a, a strong discussion on Canada-U.S. collaboration on the Arctic. That's new. Uh, that's something that, that we've been kind of hoping for, but uh, but didn't want to get our hopes up too high. So that is, that is uh, new and important and relevant um, to all of the other discussions, be they climate change, be they sovereignty, be they security, uh, and all of that. So that, that was new to me. We, we also, you know, uh, don't conversation about security, like setting aside the Arctic, the whole conversation about NORAD and the modernization uh, of NORAD and, and the role, the special role that Canada plays, I think it's quite useful to remind uh, U.S. policymakers of that. And, and so having the leaders talk about that, that was also new. Peter, you and I have talked a lot over the years about uh, bilateral meetings with various presidents and prime ministers where they talk about the border regulatory cooperation, and then maybe one other issue. And in, and today, uh, there is a whole menu, uh, a whole roadmap, uh, but a whole menu of issues to talk about. And that was a, that was a surprise um, and in, in a good way. I think there's a lot to work on here. It, it was largely focused, though, Mark Warner, on areas of cooperation and not a, not a whole lot of surprises. But uh, for a lot of Canadians, uh, you know, and, and I know it's it's right in your bailiwick, the whole issue, the whole uh, issue of Buy America. Um, you know, when they talk about the importance of supply chains, does that, you know, does that give you hope that they're actually recognizing uh, the need for some kind of an exemption for Canada or some, some way that Canada can uh, sort of, you know, I don't know if it's called a workaround for, for new Buy America provisions, but in that kind of language, what did you hear? Do you, does it sound hopeful to you that uh, the Americans hear Canada's oh. concern about Buy America? Yeah. I guess I'm going to be the Debbie Downer. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I think they mean different things by it. It's, it's always the case that the Canadians and Americans mean different things by supply chains. Uh, when Americans think about supply chains, I think it's the same under Biden as it was under Trump. They're talking about critical minerals. Um, that means the access to our so-called rare earths and other critical minerals. And the issue there for Canada is not just mining, but processing, which takes you back into issues of environments and treaty rights, because some of these uh, rare earths, and if that's what we're talking about, are up in Alberta and places that Canada's designated as a park. So, you know, that at the end of the day, you know, yes, supply chains are important. If you want to talk about the full supply chain to make a, a, an electric vehicle with, um, you know, lithium and uh, graphite and all the rest of it, well, that's mining. And so, again, you come back to the issue of policy coherence in terms of the greening agenda and the net zero agenda. And if we want to, if, we're, if the purpose of doing that is to compete with China, that means you have to do it on a cost-effective basis, mm -hmm. which means the more bells and whistles you throw on that are related to you know, net zero targets and all of that, the more expensive it is. So I think my guess is that when Biden talks about supply chains, he's thinking about that critical infrastructure piece, which is a big part of him. And I think when the Canadian, uh, when Prime Minister Trudeau is talking about it, he's probably talking about the more immediate idea of a potential infrastructure bill and right. how we uh, get to buy things uh, uh, the, from the government procurement. So we'll see. The devil's in the details, but I, I do think that the two countries probably at this very high level mean very different things. All right. Uh, Scotty, let me have you pick up on that. I mean, and with a just the simple question for Canadians watching is, you know, how worried do we need to be about Joe Biden and Buy America? Oh, very vigilant. I wouldn't say worried, but I would say vigilant. Uh, you need to work hard on it. So 
So Buy America, as the President Biden envisions it, has to do with government procurement, right? So Canada already enjoys tariff-free access uh, to many things in the United States, thanks to the trade agreement we negotiated last time. Um, and in the defense sector, also, Canada is treated as American for the purpose of Pentagon procurement. That's been true since the 1960s. So when you say Buy America, it, it kind of is offensive to Canadians a little bit, I think, or more than a little bit, but it's really about one specific area. And I think there is a possibility that you could have a broad carve out uh, for Canadian suppliers. Uh, I didn't expect to see it today, but I do think uh, that the, the, the engagement on the conversation about how do we rebound our, how do we create an economic rebound? How do we recover together? That is a much easier conversation to have if you're not putting up barriers against each other. I think the president understands that. Uh, and so so I think there's an opening here to have a conversation. Uh, but realize too, Peter, uh, we're only in the second, the early days right. of the second month of this administration, and they still have to staff up. The, the people in the White House and the Office of Management and Budget that will deal with Buy American waivers aren't in place yet. So uh, there's a lot of work to do uh, here, and but Canada should be very vigilant um, and should be, you know, engaged yeah. as as aggressively as it was with NAFTA with issues like this and others. Mark, do you feel? Do you are you? Do you think Canadians should be more concerned about protectionist policies under Joe Biden than under Donald Trump? Honestly, I don't think the protectionism began with Donald Trump, notwithstanding the Canadian discussion for the last five years. I think. Uh, I think that the issues that have been there before, softwood lumber is not going to change under Biden. He was vice president when we had had softwood lumber fights. Uh, Buy American was an issue. We, you know, I think that'll be an issue again. You know, last time around it was with the federal spending uh, on infrastructure. And I think there's a big infrastructure piece that's going to come from the United States, and that's where we'll again be having, I think, the same discussion we had in 2009, looking for some kind of a Canadian carve out from that. But we bought that carve out, which is the part that people sometimes forget when we talk about this in Canada. We had to make concessions to get that carve out. It wasn't given to us just because uh, Joe Biden, as the person tasked with getting that agreement, liked us. Hmm. Uh, the, our provinces had to make concessions that we'd never made before on the issues of government procurement. And my guess is that's really going to be the template for Biden. It's going to be uh, a relationship where he likes us, it's going to be professional, it's going to be warm, but it's it's going. It's not going to be a matter of uh, the Americans uh, basically lying down and playing dead and giving Canada everything at once. I think we're going to have to fight for what we want. And part of it is we're going to have to figure out what can we do to help him, uh, as opposed to always what he can yeah, do to good, help us. Good point. Let, let me let me uh, uh, pivot our conversation here to the the issue of vaccines, Scotty. Um, I, I'm told that in the meeting, the, the Canadian side made the case. Uh, I'm not sure there was a, an explicit ask for more access or the, for access to U.S. manufactured vaccines, which uh, the Canadian side would like. Um, but Canada made the case that, you know, look at how even on health care, how closely we're entwined with Canadian health care workers going across the border at Windsor to work in Detroit during the pandemic and, and making that argument about how, how good neighbors support each other. Is it realistic at this point for Canadians to think they're going to get supplies of vaccine from American manufacturers? 
Well, the question is about timing. It is realistic that the U.S. will help Canada uh, through, the, through this as it can, but will Canadians be able to cut the line in front of Americans for a vaccine? Don't think so. Um, I don't think that would be true in any country in the world, Australia, New Zealand. You, p- you pick two neighbors. Uh, come, you know, when it comes to uh, a deadly public health crisis, every government is going to protect its own citizens um, as a first priority, and then will immediately turn its attention to how it can help its 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 neighbors and how it can help uh, people in the world in need. So I, I think it's a question of timing. Peter, the U.S. will um, hopefully continue to have um, a lot of vaccines available and most Americans taking up the opportunity to get vaccinated. And, and what you have to understand is Canadians feel like they're behind the eight ball, but so do Americans. Um, Americans are frustrated that the, the vaccine isn't coming as quickly as it should be. So there's a lot of pressure on all governments to de- to deliver more quickly for their own citizens. And I have no doubt that the U.S. will help in this with Canada, but but not to cut the line. That's not something I think that's right. reasonable to expect. Uh, Mark, you've done a lot of work in the area of pharmaceuticals. I know that. Uh, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I think, I think it probably depends on which specific vaccine we're talking about. I don't think we're going to be able to cut the line, as Scotty, to Scotty's phrase, for the Pfizer or the Moderna Uh, vaccines coming out of American plants. We might have better luck with some of the other ones that are coming down the pike, um, like the AstraZeneca one, simply because I don't think the Americans are going to put such an emphasis on it. So to the extent that we purchase something, if we want to get supplied from from the United States, I think we might very well see less problems with that crossing the border. Plus, the AstraZeneca vaccines really didn't benefit from the Operation Warp Speed money, so you don't have the issues that are implicated directly in the, in the case of the Moderna vaccine and indirectly in the case of the Pfizer vaccine. Johnson & Johnson is going to be delayed in the United States for a bit, so I think it's unlikely that we're going to, if that's where we were hoping to source from, I don't think we'll be seeing that from the United States anytime soon. We might have better luck with Novavax, but again, that's to come further down the road. I think that by the fall, you know, when supposedly all Canadians are going to be, who want to be vaccinated will be vaccinated, I think supply will, will, will free up a bit. Um, but we'll have to wait and see whether we still need to have the same need All right. at that point. Look, let, let's finish on sort of a, a broader look at things. And Scotty, let me turn to you. You, uh, you know, you, you've been saying that the Canadian side needs the same urgency at the table as it had with the Trump administration. I think that might surprise a lot of people. Uh, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is when NAFTA was being, when, when the previous administration was threatening to tear up NAFTA, was levying tariffs and, and was negotiating and playing hardball, uh, Canada deployed. Canada suited up and had a huge effort and said, we're going to engage Congress. We're going to engage governors and mayors, and we're going to, we're going to really take this on. And the result was good. The result was there. So I think it's a mistake to think with that behind us, we just throw away that playbook. That's a playbook that worked in advancing Canada's Canada's interests. And the issues are just as challenging and the urgency uh, to uh, to to pursue them is still there. There just isn't this this you know this um, obnoxious sort of uh, interlocutor on the side of the border. So so I think people shouldn't be lulled into thinking that because there is a, a you know a friendly relationship that everything will just now happen smoothly and magically. There are U- U.S. interests. Um, will always be front of mind in the United States, just as Canadian interests will be in the front of mind in Canada. So I, I think it's going to be really important in this window of alignment to make as much progress as possible while while you've got the feeling of of goodwill and momentum. That's, that's what I mean by that. All right. A quick final word to you, Mark Warner. Uh, how aggressive should Canada be in pushing forward its priorities with the U.S. administration? Um, 
you know, including, I guess, we've talked about it, pushing for an exemption for, uh, from Buy America. How, how aggressive does Canada need to be? Well, the issue is really, again, the exact opposite of the Trump situation, where I think we, we thought that the Congress had more power than it did, and we thought that they would be able to make Trump not do the things we didn't, that we didn't want him to do. Here we have the exact opposite problem. There's basically, you know, five seats that can change the, 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 the way the House of Representatives go, go, uh, votes. That's not a big margin for the Democrats. They're essentially tied in the Senate. Um, we'll see what happens with the interior secretary designate. You'll have a lot to say on energy policy, um, not to mention, um, um, you know, Keystone and all that other stuff. So some of what we heard today about Biden, what Biden wants to do on emissions and carbon, all of that's very interesting, but he's going to have to get it through if it involves spending any money, get it through a very complicated congressional situation. To the extent that Canada can be working the phones, talking to people in the United States, that will help. But I, I don't think we should be under any illusions that this okay. is going to be an easy battle to win. All right. Uh, Mark Warner, Scotty Greenwood, uh, thank you both for uh, your perspectives tonight. Uh, good to talk to you and take care. Good to talk to you, Peter. Thanks. Good to see you, Mark. Hi. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics from all of us here at CPAC. Thanks for watching. Until next time.